Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and you're listening to Republic Forces Radio Network. The Force is strong with them. Star Wars Action News presents Republic Forces Radio Network, bringing you coverage of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Our hosts will review the toys, books, comics, games, and all things related to the Clone Wars animated series. And after each new episode airs on Cartoon Network, our hosts will recap and review the show. And we want to hear your thoughts on The Clone Wars. Call us at 415-508-JEDI every Saturday after a new episode, and your call may be played on the air. This week, Marjorie brings us the first part of her interview with Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano, about her role in The Clone Wars. Now, let's join Arnie to discuss this week's episode, Supply Lines. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Republic Forces Radio Network. We're going to be talking about the episode Supply Lines as well as some other things. I am joined by the other hosts, Jen. Hello. Dan, the rock star. Hello, everyone. And Nathan P. Butler. We are back. And we are going to be dissecting this week's episode Supply Lines. But first, we're being joined by Marjorie, my co-host on Star Wars Action News, the Star Wars collecting podcast you can find at SWActionNews.com. She had the joy of talking with Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka on The Clone Wars. We haven't seen Ahsoka, but we're going to be seeing her next week. And here is the first part of that interview. Now joining us is Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano on The Clone Wars. Thank you for joining us, Ashley. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about the Clone Wars. Now, when the movie came out in 2008, one of the biggest talked about characters and the greatest mystery was your character, Ahsoka Tano. What was your impression to the fan reaction to her? Oh, goodness. Um, it was definitely mixed. And um, I'll tell you why, because the, the movie was actually an afterthought. It was actually a, you know, a couple of our episodes put together to make a movie. And um, we were always intended to be on television. We were never intended to be on, you know, in the movie theaters. And it was actually really exciting, I think, that it, you know, we kind of launched our series in theaters. But, um, you know, I think that was a, one thing that a lot of fans didn't realize is that, um, you know, they made our show to be, you know, really the most advanced cartoon on television, uh, not necessarily in theaters. So I think there was a bit of miscommunication in the beginning. And so a lot of the fan comments came from in terms of Ahsoka, you know, I think, um, I, I'm, I think now that fans have seen how far she's come, I think they can accept the movie more. I, I think in the beginning they felt that she came on a bit strong, a bit too spunky. Um, but also, you know, one thing I ask the fans to remember is it was it was written to be like three or four separate episodes, not one movie. So I think you know that's why she might have come on a bit strong at times. But um, also, you know, a lot of fans kind of wanted her to be perfect from the beginning. And you know, this is one character, like you said, we don't know her outcome, and she was brand new. And you know, I just ask fans to be patient with her and enjoy the process with her and grow up with her. Um, you know, if she had started perfect, if she had started, you know, to be, you know, the perfect Padawan, you know, 
that wouldn't give her anywhere to go. You know, it wouldn't give her, a, you know, really an arc. And I, I hope fans see and I can promise them that this will continue, you know, how much she's matured and how much she's grown just from the movie through the end of season two. And, you know, I can I can promise you, you know, we're, we're working on season three right now. And, I mean, she just grows up so much. She's, you know, she's becoming more and more mature. Um, she is becoming more and more like Anakin. She's becoming a bit darker, a bit more spontaneous. I would say less spunky, uh, a little more serious, and um, she definitely grows up. So I really think she's going in the direction the fans want her to go, and I just ask, you know, that they continue. They, they just enjoy the process with her and enjoy watching her grow up. Now, one thing she has done is grown up, which is kind of unusual for a cartoon to have an evolution of a character like that. Did you have any input into suggesting or how or why or when Ahsoka could start maturing and making that character development because she has grown up in the series. Yeah, yeah, you know, I wouldn't say I'm I'm, I'm not a part of the decision-making process, but what what Dave Filoni, I mean, he's just so amazing, you know, how he directs us. One thing that I'm so grateful for is he's allowed me to be a part of the process and and when we record and and, um, giving input about Ahsoka. You know, one thing that I was just so amazed about from the beginning is you know, he said from day one, he said, you know, we cast you for your voice. He goes, but we also cast you. We felt that you just embodied Ahsoka, that some of your expressions and some of your body movements um, fit what we were looking like for Ahsoka. He goes, we feel that you just kind of embodied the part. And so he said, we want you to bring some of yourself to the character. Um, we want to hear how you would say certain lines um, you know, or or just kind of how you think she would interpret certain lines. And I'm really grateful for that because he allowed me to bring a lot of myself to the character, a lot of my own personality. And, and now um, he's allowed me to give my input on, you know, how I think Ahsoka would say something or what she would do or, and, um, or even sometimes how, like, what the words, you know, will change certain words here and there if we don't feel that that's exactly what she would say. So, um, you know, I don't really have uh, any input in the storylines, but I have um, input in how she would interpret it and how she would say it. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that, that he's allowed me to be a part of the process. One of the changes that has been noticeable as part of Ahsoka maturing is, and this was a big thing with the fans, is kind of divided on how they felt about it, was that she no longer calls Anakin Sky Guy and he's kind of stopped calling her Snips. How did you feel about those nicknames and did you have to say, wait a second, come on, we need to stop. People are, got half people getting angry and half people think it's cute. Oh, you know, Dave and I were just talking about this at our last session just the other day. Um, you know, I personally like Sky Guy and Snip. Um, I really like the nicknames. Uh, some of the nicknames, I, I agree, it was too much. I think it was a bit overkill in the beginning, but I have a soft spot in my heart for Sky Guy and Snips. Um, you know, we don't use them that much anymore. Uh, it comes in occasionally. Um, I I fight for it as much as I can um, when I feel that it's right, but uh, I think we found the balance. <laughs> but I do like them, personally. <laughs> I think it took fans by surprise is what happened, is there was really no one having a nickname except maybe Chewbacca, and I think that took people by surprise. They weren't prepared for it. It was well, different. Well, it was just overkill, I think. There were there were too many nicknames, and I was saying them too often. 
Um, so I do like that we scaled it back, but um, I don't know. I think, especially snips, I think it just fits for Ahsoka. Um, and every now and then, I mean, even if it's just once or twice a season, I do I do like the nickname Sky Guy, but, um, but we'll see. I, I will say it's scaled back. It's not very much anymore. Thank you, Marjorie. And remember, next week you can hear the rest of her interview with Ashley Eckstein. And she also interviewed Ashley Eckstein about the Her Universe clothing line. You can listen to that and Star Wars Action News at SWActionNews.com. All right, guys, are you ready to talk about this week's Clone Wars episode supply lines? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. If we must. Yeah, absolutely. I'm here. We'll start with the plot summary. This week started with the fortune cookie, where there's a will, there's a way. And that one was so original. The news report comes around saying Ryloth is blockaded and under attack by the Separatists and reinforcements are needed. And the Jedi need to use the planet Toydaria to run relief supplies to Ryloth. One ship was already there with Representative Jar Jar Binks to try and negotiate with the neutral Toydarians to allow the Republic to use their planet to run these supplies. Worried about Binks' lack of negotiation experience, Obi-Wan and Mace Windu request Bail Organa join Jar Jar to help with negotiations. But to interfere with the negotiations, Count Dooku sends Lot Dodd of the Trade Federation to Toydaria as well. Though Dodd claims the Trade Federation is neutral and Dodd is just representing the interests of the Trade Federation and their trade agreements with Toydaria. Toydaria decides they want to keep their neutrality, but the king secretly allows Bale to transport the one shipment of supplies they have from Toydaria to Ryloth, but the Trade Federation must not find out. So they set up a formal dinner with Lot Dodd and the Toydarian king, but Bale says he has to contact Alderaan and proceeds to ship the supplies while Jar Jar stays at the dinner as a distraction. During all this, we witness the battle continue on Ryloth with Jedi Master Dai and Ryloth Resistance Leader Cham Syndulla. And Dai dies as droids shoot him just as the relief supplies arrive. Maybe next week we'll get Jedi Master Dead Meat. Maybe. Clone Commander Fodder. The episode ends with Dodd finding out the supplies have arrived and telling Bail Organa he's playing a very dangerous game. And we are left to believe that this could be picked up again later. So let's jump right into the episode and give your overall impressions of the episode. Nathan, let's start with you this week. Okay, well, I guess I'm going to get to be the Debbie Downer this time around. <laughs> this was an episode that I really wanted to like. I mean, I like episodes with Bail Organa because I like him as a character. I actually like seeing Jar Jar in the Clone Wars, especially when he's voiced by Ahmed Best instead of B.J. Hughes, which sounds a little more authentic because they do a really good job in the Clone Wars of fitting him into the context. I mean, it's a cartoon. He's not slapsticky sometimes. Sometimes it's more sitcom-style humor, but I kind of like seeing Jar Jar in these as long as he's not overused, so I was looking forward to that. I was really looking forward to seeing Master Die because this is a character that looked really cool in the previews. He was a new character that we hadn't seen before. But it seems like what they wound up doing uh, is basically poor execution of interesting concepts. I felt like I was watching two different episodes with two completely different tones. I know the message is supposed to be politics affects war, but we got one story that was sort of a lead up to ambush, one story tying into the Ryloth trilogy, and it felt like they were just kind of inconveniently crammed together. Starting out, of course, with that fortune cookie where there's a will, there's a way that Arnie mentioned that, you know, I guess shows that they're out of fortune cookie ideas. It just sort of felt like the episode tried to do a little bit too much with what it had, going in too many different directions, and in doing so managed overall, in my opinion, to sort of fail. 
in doing so. Not to mention the fact that in a lot of ways this is sort of a continuity nightmare of an episode that affects not only the Clone Wars series in the EU, but also has retroactively affected one of the movies. I, I don't think this episode could have rode me the wrong way more if it was a sadistic masseuse. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> wanted to like it. This is not one of my favorites. Um, and we'll get to most of it in Continuity Corner, I suppose. So, so Nathan, this episode, there was no happy ending? <laughs> no happy ending? No? And... I have to ask, though, I understand that continuity is always a big thing with you with the Star Wars timeline gold that you can find at StarWarsFanWorks.com. There, I plugged you for you. But outside of continuity, you still didn't like this episode for other reasons, too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the continuity stuff was like the crap icing on the dung cake. I just kind of like I liked seeing certain aspects of it. But again, I felt like two different episodes. My my way of looking at this, I, I, the phrase that I've used to try to come up with a way to describe it is either thematic or tonal whiplash. It felt like they were trying to do two very different things that didn't quite fit together. And that was something that it feels like was not only something in the episode itself, but also behind the scenes, as we'll see when we get to some of the characters and the way their names were chosen versus the way we were meant to perceive them in the series. It just, I don't know, it's a lot of good ideas got put together, but it, I guess it didn't cook right, so to speak, to use a cooking analogy. It just, it didn't mesh the way I think it was meant to. And to me, it came off as very forced and something that, honestly, I probably other than trying to summarize it for the timeline or something, probably am not all that inclined to watch over again. Which is unusual, because season two, I really, really liked, and the stuff of season three so far, I've really liked. It seems like this is the one that is the outsider thus far out of probably the last 20, 25 episodes. Jen, what did you think of this week's episode? Oh, I'm kind of half and half on this episode. If I could cut away all the problems that the introduction and some of the continuity things caused and just look at the episode by itself, it really wasn't that bad. I like Bail Organa a lot. I've been reading some of the, the EU stuff that's from the Clone Wars era. There's the, the two books that are out and there's the Wild Space. So I, I, I like Bail Organa. He's a fun character. So I was happy to see him. I know some people were really kind of bummed when he was going to be in this episode. But I thought he was cool. I don't really mind Jar Jar. I actually didn't mind Bombad Jedi. <laughs> I'm like one of the two. So it didn't bother me that he was going to be in this episode. But all of the con conflicting information that they had for when this took place and who was where and, and Toydaria, are they neutral, are they not? I was so jarred out of the story that I had a really hard time enjoying it. Um, the only other thing that was kind of confusing to me is I felt like this episode was two very, very different, I guess, tones to steal from Nathan. There's this very dark last stand type thing going on on Ryloth and then there's this more quiet political thing with Jar Jar bouncing around. I almost felt like they had this story that they wanted to tell that was actually kind of dark and very political and very adult and they just threw Jar Jar in there to throw plates around just to entertain the kids. So I feel like this episode didn't really have the same really well thought out cohesion that the previous two did but all in all it wasn't bad. I didn't mind it. It just was it was kind of a drop from the previous two. Dan, how about yourself? Wow. Now, now I know how Barrent felt when he was the only one who liked Senate Spy. Because I actually liked this episode. I, I felt that uh, the battle scenes and storyline were very... They got you really into it. And you could really feel. And that, and the same with last week's two episodes, that they're revisiting past stories that were kind of flashes that were good stories, but they didn't really have a whole lot around them. I, I like that they're going that way with season three. I like to see them continue. So I, I liked the battle and the intensity there. And then also, on the other hand, I also kind of liked the politics and the intrigue on the other side. Yes, 
Jar Jar was a little silly, but I actually kind of liked Jar Jar and was okay with him being there. All in all, I thought it was a really good episode, and I'm looking forward to seeing more that are uh, revisiting old stories. Yes, I know it's doing horrible things to their own continuity that they can't remember from a year ago, apparently, but I still enjoyed it. As for me, I found this episode to be pretty good for what it was. I, I'm a little disappointed about some of the slowness. I understand, Nathan, completely what you're saying about how it feels like there's two totally different things going on, and we'll go into detail about that. But overall, I like this episode, maybe because Marjorie is a huge Jar Jar fan and Jar Jar collector. I've kind of come around on the Jar Jar character. I still wince during anything that has to do with anal expulsion in episode one, of which there are two Jar Jar scenes. But I don't mind him as a character. I'm happy to see Ahmed Best back behind the microphone. I don't know why they had to go to another voice, but... If you're going to do Jar Jar, it's it's got to be Ahmed because that other guy, he was he was no good. And I thought he was used well here. And I kind of liked seeing this episode and the lead up to the inaugural episode Ambush. Now, I didn't know going in that this was going to be a prequel episode. Were any of you surprised about this? Because I saw that on the forums and on our Facebook page, there was a bit of viewer surprise trying to figure out exactly what we were watching, not realizing that this was a prequel episode. Well, I'm the big continuity guy, and it took me almost to the end of the episode to figure out when the heck this was taking place. I don't think anyone was really prepared for this to be a prequel. I don't think they ever hyped it up as such. Yeah, it threw me for a loop. Me and my girlfriend were sitting there watching it, and she's now seen them all because she's been watching them with me. She was even saying the same thing. She's like, is this kind of like that one from before? And yeah, apparently so, but we didn't know it going into it. I had no idea when this took place. I was really lost. Uh, even by the end of it, I was kind of thinking like, well, I guess this is a prequel. I'm not sure. <laughs> and which I, I was open to it being a prequel, but I was just very lost as to when this took place. There was no frame of reference. And I, I was under the impression that they hadn't been working on Ryloth with the Rebels until one or two episodes into that trilogy of episodes. I was just really confused. I had no idea. And so hearing it confirmed, this is actually the first time I've heard it confirmed that it was in fact a prequel. So I was really lost. Now I kind of figured out that it was a prequel to Ryloth just because I remember that the, the rebel leader of the Twi'leks, it's Twi'leks, right? Not Twi'leks that I've been saying for 30 years. It, the, the Twi'leks had, uh, they mentioned something about how he had gotten disgusted with uh, the Republic or something to that nature. And so then he came back around the second or third part. So when he showed up, I kind of gathered that it was before that. But as far as it being a prequel to Ambush, us going back to before the first episode, that was kind of surprising. But then again, I mean, last season we had a prequel to the movie that came out before all this hubbub started, so... I guess why not? What I found interesting is how this episode really bridged two separate storylines because we've got the Ryloth trilogy from season one and Ambush from season one. I really liked how this made me feel like this show isn't quite so episodic. It's not so unrelated stories from the same war. This is kind of like some connecting tissue that makes me realize all of these things are intertwined and thus may seem unimportant at one time, but like dominoes, they're all starting to fall. I, I loved that about this episode. It makes me think even more that after they get us for 40 to $60 for box sets for each individual season, once it's all said and done, we're going to get a big old box set that is the episodes in continuity order, and that's going to hit us again. 
you know, Filoni has been saying, you know, that this gives them opportunities now, now that they've got some of the story fleshed out, to bounce around the continuity a little bit and fill in some of the gaps. But he's also said, and this is sort of in contradiction to some of the stuff Leland Chi has put out there, which makes me think, and I think rightly so, that Leland Chi being an EU guy, being a, a Lucas books, Lucasfilm type guy, is probably not being kept entirely in the loop on this particular series so much as it's just when they make a decision, they hand it off to him so that he knows it and can put it in the holocron. But Filoni has said several times, you know, there is an order. We know when this stuff happens, but we kind of can't tell you yet. We have to wait till more stuff has come along. Then apparently there is a timeline on the way, but apparently they've got it all worked out, or at least they say they've got it all worked out. That does give me hope that we're going to see more interconnectivity. I think, I guess it, it did well at connecting those two things, kind of like the Republic Heroes video game. I mean, the controls were atrocious, but the Republic Heroes video game did an amazing job at picking up the threads where Hostage Crisis and the Ryloth trilogy left off with the mopping up on Ryloth, bringing in Cad Bane. I always thought that that was something, well, that's just a fluke because that's, you know, the group was getting together for a game after season one. So, of course, they're going to go back and grab from season one with what they know. But I'm thinking now maybe it's a little bit more planned out. Maybe they do have sort of a stretch of when does the battle on Rylot start versus when does it end. What gets me, though, is that we never really got much of a hint of this before. I think... If the Ryloth stuff had maybe been mentioned in other episodes at some point other than the Ryloth trilogy and here, it would have felt like it made a little bit more sense to have a prequel episode. Instead, it feels as though the events, I think it's as Jen said, I believe, the stuff that takes place on Ryloth here seems like it should be taking place right before the Ryloth trilogy, which is when we had assumed the Separatists landed because of the web comics and other stuff. Instead, we've almost got an entire season worth of time passing where there must have been stuff going on on Ryloth. We just weren't ever seeing or hearing about it. It's, I don't know, it, it connects well, but it does so without any other hints to it. It'd be making a little bit more sense to me if they dropped more little random references here and there, if they really have a broad plan in place. Well, let's talk about that opening battle on Ryloth that really kicks off the episode. Now, I wasn't on the roundtable last week to discuss the opening, and so I didn't get to put in my two cents. And I have to say here, wow, the animation just wow. I can't believe that I'm watching this on a television show because that opening battle, the graphics are so much better now than even just last season when they were heads and tails above season one. And I'd say that opening battle is in scope and detail up there with the kind of stuff we were seeing in Revenge of the Sith on Kashyyyk and Utapau, just the amount of detail they're putting into these fights is just visually stunning. Yeah, I agree. The difference between the battle uh, in this week's episode and the Battle of Camino that we got last week, the they're just steps and leaps and bounds above what we saw even just last season. I mean, the stuff that we saw on Geonosis last season was phenomenal, and this blew that away. And that makes everything in season one look like chicken scratch. One of the things that really impressed me with the animation is they they aren't just, I don't think they're reusing the same character models too, or they're rehashing them or doing something, especially with their expressions, because like Lock Dodd and um, the Tori Darian King, they're old models, but they still, like, especially Lock Dodd, his facial features were really in-depth now, and like, they're getting a lot more intense with the eye movements and things. It just looks worlds above even what they were doing last season, and it's nice to see that they're not just reusing some antiquated uh, model like the Tori Darian guys from the first season and have them look out of place like they're really bringing everything up to to par and it's really cool I'm, I'm happy to see it. i can't wait to keep seeing more of these episodes especially these great battle scenes they look fantastic i was just thinking in terms of the new characters i mean jedi master die was 
incredible look. I mean, he's a Nick too. We've never really seen one with this level of facial expression before. He's a, he's a really well-done character. Keely, the clone that was with him, I think that was his name, is probably the best coolest design for just the hairstyle and the uh, the facial hair and everything for a clone that we've seen. This was really, it was a very well-designed episode from a visual uh, aesthetic. I mean, it's, it was mind-blowing in that regard. I think she's right. I think we're going back and I guess they're doing something to either the lighting or the texturing because it seems as though the characters are looking better than they were before, with the possible exception of Bail Organa. I almost felt like Bail Organa's character model felt out of place in this episode. Maybe because he was surrounded by all the alien characters with sort of the smooth lines to them, but Bail Organa almost looked like, you know, he's a caricature of himself with a block for a head compared to the detail of all these other character models. That's one thing now that you mentioned, Nathan, that did irk me a little bit about Bale. I mean, Jimmy Smith is a very, very tall guy, and his face is a lot more elongated than his counterpart on Clone Wars was. He, he seemed actually to be pretty short and kind of stocky, which is... Not really too much like the Bail Organa that we saw in the prequel trilogy. Well, he's a Pez dispenser head here, really. I mean, it's basically, I mean, you could imagine tipping his neck back and out pops some candy. <laughs> but to go to Nathan, what you were saying, there's a lot of these scenes on the Battle of Ryloth, but really it seemed to me kind of like I mentioned the Battle of Kashyyyk in episode three earlier. My feeling has always been with episode three in the Battle of Kashyyyk that. Lucas was being reactionary to people complaining that episode one was too dull because there was the fight at the beginning and fight at the end, but then this long stretch in the middle. Episode three, I've equated its pacing to a pornography. In porn, you can't go 15 minutes without a sex scene. In episode three, you couldn't go 20 minutes without a major battle. And during the long talky period of Anakin turning to the dark side, they had to have a big battle, so they threw in Kashyyyk. It added nothing to the overall plot of episode three. Well, here, I'm kind of feeling like maybe the creative folks at the Clone Wars were a little bit nervous about having a talky episode, thinking they needed the visual razzmatazz, and they gave us visual razzmatazz. But there was nothing really to be invested in in Ryloth, was there? Other than, here's people suffering and action, and this is why we're doing it. But to continually show us scenes of the battle and the setup where they're blowing up the gunship and killing the droids didn't seem to really have anything story-wise to add. I mean, since you're kind of answering my point here as far as the whole tonal thing, I actually, I think I kind of disagree with that. I mean, I, it was definitely a tonal issue to me, but I think that the idea of connecting them made sense. I mean, Filoni has pretty much said, you know, this is an episode that's supposed to be about how politics can get in the way of war, how politics can cause people to suffer in war because that's a consideration, not what's going on, you know, on the actual battlefield. And I think it made sense to put the stories together. It's just that tonally they didn't wind up fitting very well together because you were jumping back and forth from them uh, without a lot of transition between them. Like I said, it's kind of tonal whiplash. Like you're really getting into one story and then boom, you're in the other one and the emotional pull is completely different. They really tried to make this, though, something I think we were meant to feel. I mean, Master Dai is a really kind of interesting character. He has that great line, politics or war turns promises into hopes or something like that. So the philosopher warrior type figure he and Keely are making their last stand you know they've got the heroic moment where he finally sees that they're safe and then the Jedi Master gets killed you've got uh, before that we have a ship that winds up being wiped out we've got Keely falling in battle 
And at this amazing moment, last episode, I made a comment about being very Glenn Beckish when it comes to patriotic stuff. If it feels like it's something where someone's a patriot giving their life or giving their all for a cause, for honor, for patriotism, it really kind of catches me. And they did everything they needed to do to catch me with with a feeling like that at the end of this episode, but it didn't work. Because while we've got the slow motion of the falling, you know, oh, here's that that sort of quasi-slow motion, the, they're looking overhead, here comes the relief ships flying over, they got the dramatic music building. While that's happening, they're completely undermining themselves by the tone of the other part of the story, the stuff taking place on Toydaria, and, I mean, look, we're supposed to care about the end of these characters, they got the music and everything else, but... Okay, when you want me to care about characters when they die, even characters who are quite obviously going to die, don't name them in a way that's poking fun <laughs> at the fact that they're going to get killed. We got an officer named Dao, the one that's basically made of Euloran's body, a Mandalorian face, and a new haircut that basically makes him look like a beetle or something. His name is Dao, and I'm thinking it's a reference to Daoism balance. But no, they flat out say, no, this is an anagram of DOA, dead on arrival. And of course, Jedi Master Dai, his name is Ima Gun Dai which they've unabashedly said is based on the phrase, I'm gonna die. If you want me to care about the characters in your drama at the moment uh, that that they're dying, then, you know, give us the noble sacrifice stuff, the flyover and everything, but don't act like preschoolers when you're naming them. It undermines your dramatic intent every step of the way. Um, I think I was literally sitting there thinking as he's dying, saying, yep, that was his name, instead of actually caring about the character. There's I don't know. That sometimes they take that inside joke stuff in naming a little too far. I, for one, for instance, am tired of all the THX 1138 references. Okay, not every number in Star Wars is 1138, but this series seems to think so. Play the little games behind the scenes all you want, but at least make it more subtle. Don't do something the way that they did with the names of the characters here. It undermines the feeling. I never felt what I should have from this episode, and that ending was one guaranteed to bring out my Glenn Beckishness, and it didn't work. Well, I was struggling to hear if it was Jedi Master D or Jedi Master Die, and I finally looked it up and I saw it was spelled D-I, but I didn't realize it was Die. But yeah, that joke is, you, you said preschool humor, you're right, because it's something, they did this, I think, in Hot Shots, they had Dead Meat as one of the pilot's call names, and it, it's a played out joke, and... Yeah, I, I expect a little better from something that's supposed to be meaningful. You don't make it a joke. Yeah, it's like if you're going to have a character do a, a halo jump and jump out of a gunship or something, don't name him Geronimo unless you want to expect us to have the hot shots. Geronimo! Me! Joke added to it. I'm on the opposite yeah. end of the fence from you guys. I thought Master D Die was going to be like this gag. And so I was expecting, I was waiting to have it be something comical. And the fact that it wasn't actually gave me a little bit more respect for the, the character and everything. I didn't, it didn't bother me, his name. I thought that was just kind of an in-joke. Die could be any kind of word, I guess, in Star, Star Wars. It didn't bother me. I actually was really happy with how his character played out because he wasn't a joke. Uh, with all the talk about this episode, I thought it was just going to be, you know, Jar Jar plus like some moron Jedi getting, you know, kicked in the crotch or something. I thought it was going to be horrible and it wasn't. So I was really happy with that. Now, I did not read the write up on StarWars.com uh, before I saw the episode. It didn't come to it until I was actually getting prepared and, and going over my notes for this. So it actually did give me the emotional moment when he died just as the supplies arrived. Now, looking at it afterwards and seeing that, yes, that was his name and it was meant to be funny and that was the name of the Admiral, That it does strike me as ridiculous and, and totally takes away some of that awe 
feeling, not awe, but like shock and awe, like we were supposed to have, feeling from the episode. So them throwing this kind of juvenile humor in just to amuse themselves, I guess, it, take, it does take away from the episode. Now, let me build on what Dan just said, because something just struck me as he said it. He just described it as ridiculous. And in the back of my mind, it's like my mind went, nope, that's not what to call it, and popped up another word. Given the fact that right now, I mean, aside from just the fact that war should be taken serious in any way, you know, we've got troops still sitting in Iraq beyond the ones that have been pulled out. We've still got troops fighting in Afghanistan right now, and this series has so far sort of given us a respect for the way war is handled. Uh, we had the clones doing all their training and such, giving us some behind-the-scenes stuff. I think, to me, naming the characters the way they did, ridiculous doesn't fit. To me, the phrase for it is tasteless. Making it a joke, given the way they played the characters out in the actual story, those two approaches do not mesh whatsoever, and it seems like it's, I don't know, I don't know, like I said, tasteless is the best word I can find. I kind of took it as them trying to lighten it a little bit, because this was some pretty, like I was saying at the beginning, this is some pretty dark material. We have a character giving his absolute last stand along with his, you know, his clone trooper, and that's pretty intense for something that's still, uh, this, this is something we may talk about later in the series, but still not quite sure if this series is intended to be for, really, for kids or young adults or families or what they're really aiming for, but I feel like they were trying, they had something that was almost a little bit too intense for what they, their, their target audience, and so they kind of put these gags in there in order to lighten it up. And so what you guys are describing may have actually been kind of deliberate. I'm not sure saying I really agree with it, but I think that may be why, why they did it that way. Yeah. I think that writing wise, the way this story handled the death of the Jedi and the battle of Ryloth and the way we made to care about the people, it worked. It just didn't seem to fit to me with what I consider the main story, which is the Jar Jar Bill Organa thing. And yeah, it's the simple act of turning their names into a joke that seems to undermine all the great writing that went into it. And you wonder if the original writer came up with those names or if somebody else later on said, uh, let's make them funny names and the writer's heart silently broke. Now, that's not to take anything away from, from the performances here. I mean, the performances were great. It's just the names didn't seem to fit. I, I actually find the more that I see of this series, and this may be another topic for conversation, but the more I see of this series and see the voice actors coming back, the more respect I have for many of them in that profession. I mean, the guy here who's playing Jedi Master Dai is also playing Chom Syndulla in the same scenes. He also played Rush Clovis. He played Costas. I mean, this is a guy who comes back a lot. It's Robin Atkin Downs, and you can't tell. It's this great uh, performance where he's playing off himself, and you know who knows better how to play off the reaction another character is going to give than the person who also portrayed that same one. It's the same thing here when Bail Organa pulls up the recording of Orn Free Ta. They're both Phil Lamar. Uh, he's also the tactical droid here. It's amazing sometimes to see how well these performances go when not only are these people playing one character, but playing multiple and we're none the wiser until we see a credits list. That, that, I think, speaks to the professionalism of the voice cast in this case. We're naming, but amazing performances, especially among these characters who are sort of the more noble ones. Jedi Master Dai really stood out to me performance-wise here. Yeah, with the voice actors, you are so right, Nathan. And the more that I've gotten to talk to some of the voice actors involved in the Clone Wars, the more that I really do have respect for the voiceover profession, for all these voice actors, the unsung heroes of Hollywood when it comes to video games and cartoon series like this and even live action movies. But you mentioned the guy who played Bail Organa. And I, what, what would you say his name was? Phil Lamar. He's terrible. <laughs> he oh, yeah, but, but you, bad... can tell, 
you can tell he's being Bale versus being Orn Frita and others. I mean, he has versatility. He just may not be a match for Jimmy Smith. I mean, I'd love to hear Jimmy Smith's in it the same way I like to hear Ahmed Best here instead of B.J. Hughes as Jar Jar. It's just not quite right, you know, to our ears and such. I just think that if if this guy's going to do Bail Organa, he would have been better off trying to do his own thing with Bail Organa rather than trying to do a poor Jimmy Smith's. It's kind of like when you get Matt Lanter as Anakin. Matt Lanter's just doing Matt Lanter's voice. That's how Matt Lanter talks. This is why Matt Lanter isn't also playing a Toydarian. He's not a voice actor. He's an actor who fit the role. Same with Ashley Eckstein. She is just, that's her voice. When you see her talk, it's very weird because I'm looking around for Ahsoka. But you get somebody like a James Arnold Taylor or a Tom Kane. These are talented voice actors who can take on these characters and do different things with them. Well, Matt Lancer's not trying to play Hayden, and James Arnold Taylor isn't trying to play Ewan. And so here, for this guy to try to play Jimmy, it did not work for me. And it, it kind of s- took me out of the episode for about 10 minutes till I finally, I think it, it, I either got used to it or it got better by the end of the episode when he was having his face off with Lot Dodd. But for the majority of it, I was really just thinking they needed to recast. It's funny you mentioned that. There is, for those of you who want to check it out, it's on the iTunes feed, I think for free, for season three of The Clone Wars. I know that it's on StarWars.com right now, and it's been airing on, I think it's called Buzz on AT&T U-verse, if that's your your TV, HD, or whatever it is, provider. They actually have sort of a behind-the-scenes of The Clone Wars, and they talk to the different voice actors. They're basically going into what you were just saying, where they ask them, you know, do you put your own take on it? And it's interesting because a couple of them kind of don't really answer the question all that much. They kind of talk about the emotion behind the character. But then you do get to people like Tom Kane, who plays Yoda, who just says, you know, most of the time they do bring you in to do voices and put your own spin on it. But with Star Wars, these are predetermined characters. You come into it trying to emulate a character, not necessarily the voice of the previous actor, but emulate the character. It was very insightful for them being very short interviews. I would also recommend you go back and listen to season two of Republic Forces Radio Network, where we had both Tom Kane and James Arnold Taylor on here talking about these very things. Quite so. For what it's worth, it just probably about, oh, I guess it was probably last week was around the time that it finally struck me that now when I read stuff with Anakin Skywalker in it, it's Matt Lanter that I'm hearing. It's not Hayden Christensen. I'm almost to the point where it's James Arnold Taylor that I'm hearing in my head for Obi-Wan rather than Ewan McGregor. It's that I'm such a Ewan McGregor fan that it still isn't quite knocked out of my head yet. And I'm also going to say I'm a little bit with you when I was reading Karen Miller's Clone Wars novels. I was hearing Matt Lanter as Anakin, but I was hearing Ewan as Obi-Wan. It was very weird. I guess that just goes to show that Clone Wars is finally kind of coming into its own as far as us being able to accept it as Star Wars. Because, you know, what, two years ago, two and a half years ago, I don't know a lot of people who would have said this is Star Wars. We were all still so wary of it. Jen, Dan, what did you guys think of Bail Organa's voice? I hated it. I thought that he was... uh... Uh, way too little Jimmy Smits and way too much Taco Bell dog. I don't remember Bale having that thick of a, uh, a Latin accent. So that kind of just, I couldn't accept that as Bale. Anytime he would speak, it just wasn't working for me at all. I was a little bit distracted by his accent just because I have no memory of Jimmy Smits ever having an accent when he's playing Bale Organa. I don't think he has an accent really much at all. So that distracted me a little bit, but the actual voice, uh, I'm so used to having a little bit of a difference between the voices, between the the live action people and the the voice actors that it doesn't really bother me very much. I just, that accent was definitely odd, though. It did throw me out of the episode a bit. It did strike me, though, that 
I mean, Jimmy Smith has come back and done Bail Organa voices. He did the voice of Bail Organa in The Force Unleashed. So, I mean, obviously he's at least somewhat open to doing voice work for Star Wars. I'm kind of surprised they've never tried to get him back to do voice work for Clone Wars, at least not that I know of, unless it's just the fact that the character comes back so much that maybe it wouldn't be something easily put into his schedule. All right, so moving on to the episode, Misa on a diplomatic mission. You're so crazy to send Jaja. Why would they send Jar Jar and then immediately be like, Bail, we messed up and sent Jar Jar. Go fix it. Well, see, we sent the message to just the Naboo representative thinking Padme would get it. The voicemail got picked up by the wrong guy, and there he goes. And we didn't know it until we got him on the screen and saw the big flappy ears. See, that's what uh, that struck me is do they just, the secretary just writes down, hey, somebody needs to go here on a post it and puts it on the bulletin board in the Naboo office. And whoever walks through sees it and goes. That just was, how do you, uh, yeah, that was, how does Jar Jar accidentally go on a diplomatic mission? That doesn't involve, like, kids' birthday parties or something. Yeah, that really threw me. It was like, he, he was there first. That's what really threw me. It wasn't like he got, I, I assumed he would be tagging along with Bale for some reason. But somehow they were like, there's a diplomatic crisis. Who's available? Jar Jar. It was just like, there's nobody else in the Senate ever that could do this? It just was very weird. And then, then they were kind of asking Bale to go clean up. It was just I didn't understand. <laughs> Maybe they needed to insert a scene where Palpatine is shown sending Jar Jar. Because remember, Palpatine and Masamita kind of teamed up and got Jar Jar to approve the clone army. Maybe they needed to be there going, Representative Binks, we need you to represent our interests. Showing that really they want him to fail. Maybe the way that they were trying to make it sound was that maybe they were trying to send Padme and Jar Jar was going to be going with her. And then when she became unavailable, he still went on the mission. It seems odd that they would then say, okay, well, if Padme can't go, let's not send another senator from somewhere. Let's just go ahead and send Jar Jar. It kind of feels like, you know, if your prized hitter for the Atlanta Braves winds up getting hurt, you then, instead of grabbing somebody else to bat from the team, you dig back down into the minor leagues. It doesn't really make sense. I mean, Jar Jar doesn't have the stature of of Padme. I mean, he's a representative of that faction of the Gungans on Naboo, but he's not a full-blown senator here the way that she would be. Why wouldn't they immediately turn to some other possible senator so at least it's someone on the same level? I would think that'd be insulting to Toy area to send just any representative instead of a senator, let alone to send Jar Jar of all people. I can imagine Katunko being, are you kidding me? Get out. You know, it, like it's an insult that they would send someone of a lower stature or someone who, you know, can't speak without the Rastafarian caricature. Well, but, where did Jar Jar park? Because the Tantive sat down on that platform. That's the only thing that would fit there. Bail gets off the plane and there's Jar Jar. So did whoever was carrying Jar Jar just dump him and run? And then he couldn't get off the landing platform until Bail showed up? Misa just flew in from Coruscant and boy, are my ears tired. I thought he came with the supplies. Yeah, he travels like a pet. He's in a crate in the belt. (laughs) But he actually did pretty good here. This was, I think, the first time ever that we didn't see Jar Jar screw up, right? See, that confused me because he's doing this whole thing with the plates and his like trademark, his one like big characterization thing is that he's clumsy. And so I, I don't know about you guys, but I was waiting for the smash. Like I was waiting for the whole thing to collapse and it didn't. And that really surprised me. And it kind of like, it kind of bothered me <laughs> because that was not very Jar Jar like. I completely agree. How can he juggle and balance plates and spin them on his finger like a Harlem Globetrotter on amphetamines? 
when me's a clumsy. You know, that to me was the big triumph of the episode. The, the triumph wasn't that the supplies finally reach Ryloth and all the slow motion, you know, overhead shots and everything. You know, we're sitting here watching Jar Jar, and as soon as he starts doing stuff with the plates, we're thinking, oh God, oh God, oh God, what's going to happen? And when he finally did it right, I literally out loud went, yes! Because he did it, you know? I mean, I was so rooting for him to actually be able to pull that off and and be a positive contribution that, I don't know, it was elation when he did it. I was stoked. See, I'm with Nathan on this episode. I'm I'm a big-time Jar Jar hater. Don't tell Marjorie. But I loved him in this episode. He was stupid Jar Jar and not clumsy breaking plates, but, I mean, he was taking people's food and drinks before they were done with it, throwing it all over the floor. But there was a purpose to his idiocy. It wasn't just uh, my tongue is fat or I just stepped in something's crap or there's a farting Yopi or just stupid stuff that Jar Jar was in episode one. Here, he almost had a purpose for existing. I'm almost okay that there is a Jar Jar Binks now. Almost. I really liked him this episode. And I even liked him at the end when Lot Dodd is looking at the three and he looks at Bale and Bale's looking smug and he looks at the Toydarian King and the Toydarian King smiling knowingly. And then he looks over at Jar Jar and Jar Jar waves. It's great. He almost breaks the fourth wall. I This, this was Jar Jar used right and I liked it. I think this just kind of adds to the impression I've always had of Jar Jar from episode two. I think, and I've said this plenty of times, that it's sort of a character that is set up as a bumbler so that when he gets to episode two, we can see how he could be someone who could be manipulated thinking he's doing the good thing, sort of the noble idiot winding up giving all of that power to Palpatine, thinking he's doing what Padme would have done, you know? I think the more that we see him in situations like this, where yes, he's a bumbler, but when it comes down to it, he tries to do right, and you know what, sometimes he succeeds, the more tragic it becomes the way he's used in Episode 2. I think that Jar Jar in this episode does nothing but enhance the way he appears in Episodes 2 and 3. Not 1, but certainly 2 and 3. And, you know, of course, in 3, I don't think he talks much does he say anything at all he, he says excuse me when he steps on orn frita's foot gotcha i had a thought about how much more blatant the uh, violence seems to be this season i mean i know it's a war and people are going to die and we're going to see stuff but with uh arc troopers last uh, last week with the one arc the way the one arc trooper went out because of ventress when she pulled him onto her lightsaber and we didn't see him get ganocted as far as the saber being actually through him, but we saw a glowing hole, and we know what happened. And then actually seeing the blaster bolts hit uh, the clone without his helmet on, that's something I don't think we've seen before. We've seen them get shot, but we haven't seen them get shot when they have their human face exposed. And then the Jedi Master actually getting cut down. I think we're getting a little more into this is definitely the young, late child, early teen kind of thing i think we're, we're maybe getting closer to being it narrowing down what age this is for now and some of the jokes that we got last season with uh Orsing being asked if boba fett was a pirate child so you know i am kind of holding my breath and seeing where the season goes with it i do agree that there was quite a bit of violence this episode but jedi master die did die off screen so it's there. 
if you're looking for it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he came back. Oh, he's just wounded. Because, you know, that's how TV and movies are. They're not really dead till you see the core. No, I didn't so much think of it as narrowing down the audience so much as this is sort of the typical, where there's that word again, Lucasian storytelling style, where you do the three acts, and the first act is a little lighter. The second one's where it gets quite a bit darker, and then you're kind of coming out of it for the third. It sort of feels like, you know, here we are. We're past the 40-episode mark. He said there's going to be about, give or take, about 100 episodes. So we're into the second third here. So it seems as though we're kind of getting into the Empire Strikes Back style of territory. The violence doesn't bother me at all. I'm used, I am I feel like that's part of Star Wars. Like The whole first and second trilogies are all pretty pretty violent. We see some pretty violent stuff going on directly. There's no, there's not a lot of cutting away. And so having that injected into the, the Clone Wars, I feel like makes it almost more legitimate than, than have it be something that should be, uh, have concern raised about. Dan, I know you have a son. Do you watch this with him? And are you concerned about the violence being viewed by him? No, it's not. It wasn't really concern. I just felt like this episode and the last episode, my, my 13 year old has seen, but my five year old hasn't. And it's not because I've forbidden him to see it. It's just I feel that this, them being more upfront with it, kind of shows that it is kind of meant not necessarily for the all-age crowd, but maybe some of the older. But as far as it being accurately Star Wars violence, I can see it, and I understand it, and it's, it's not like offensive or, or frightening me <laughs> as far as letting kids view it. Another thing that was introduced in this episode is kind of the new political structure, a little bit more about the political structure of the Separatists. We've always heard them as the Separatist Alliance here instead of the Confederacy of Independent Systems and such. But here we get a mention of the Separatist Senate, which is brand new to the continuity and such, which gives at least a sense they have a sort of, of political structure forming. And I remember when Senate Spy came around, I know, I know, Baron's out there listening. When Senate Spy came around, a lot of us were saying, how do you not know that Lot Dodd and the Trade Federation are with the Separatists? Hello, what is wrong with you people? How is this a secret? I find it interesting here that they introduce the idea that Lot Dodd is there on behalf of the Trade Federation as their senator, because again, the Federation has a, a Senate presence. And he's referring to Newt Gunray basically as a rogue element in the Trade Federation, uh, where the Trade Federation itself is not necessarily aligned with the Separatists. He is just this rogue element. Please don't paint us all with the same brush, when really they should be painted with the same brush, but that's the political tack that they're taking. I found that to be an interesting nuance, especially given that with this episode being so early in the seasons, when you put it all together, that that sort of gives a rationale for Senate Spy and makes for some some possible interesting twists on the whole Trade Federation thing. Uh, what do you guys think of this whole, oh, Newt Gunray's just a wild card out there idea? It kind of confused me because I don't feel that it's that big of a secret because of a remark that is made in episode two that after how many trials and Newt Gunray is still in charge of the Trade Federation and everybody knows he's a separatist. Well, not that part so much. So acting like it's still a big secret that Trade Federation and the separatists go hand in hand. And if the Trade Federation isn't still supplying the SEPs, how are they getting all these new battleships when when their ships get destroyed? How are they getting more battle droids? It's, is it just it's okay for the Trade Federation to sell to the separatists and belong to the Republic? It, that's just that boggles my mind. Well, I guess the impression I got was they were trying to say that Newt Gunray was the one who is funneling this stuff necessarily to them, although you'd figure they could cut him off. I mean, it's a good point. I wasn't sure what to make of it. Come on, we all know it's a lie, right? Because we know Lot Dodd's in on it because Dooku sent him. So 
I, I, I don't buy it. The Nemoidians are evil. They've always been evil. They always will be evil. Not to be speciest, but nonetheless. I was happy that they broached the subject at all. Like I was just under the assumption that they would never touch it ever. So the fact that they made some sort of attempt, it was kind of weak because it was really, it's kind of a transparent argument. I don't see how anybody could really fall for that, but they, they at least tried, which I, I just thought they'd never touch it. So I guess I could give them an E for effort for that. At least I didn't mind it. And as that's kind of a continuity topic, Nathan, why don't you grace us with all of the continuity foibles this episode introduced? All right. Well, uh, usually we call this continuity corner. I would like to refer to it this time as the continuity coroner. Because as I said, this episode, uh, this evening, the episode and the preview of what comes next, this evening in general of watching the Clone Wars managed to have implications for the continuity of the Clone Wars cartoon series or T-Canon, the expanded universe or C-Canon, and the continuity of the films, G-Canon. This is a grab-a-snickers kind of moment here. All right. In terms of the impact on the cartoon series, the episode merges two plot lines. You got the lead up to Yoda's mission to meet with Katunko in Ambush, which was the first aired episode of season one, and the battle on Ryloth in the trilogy made up of Storm over Ryloth, Innocence of Ryloth, and Liberty on Ryloth at the end of season one, which also ties into the mopping up mission on Ryloth in the Republic Heroes video game, which had its story crafted in part by the television series team, or so we're told. This connection is problematic at the moment, to say the least, as it's not an easy fit. Ambush, many people don't know this, was not originally meant to be the first episode of Season 1. Instead, the first episodes were meant to be Downfall of a Droid and Duel of the Droids, which were to come before the Malevolence trilogy. Now, based on comments in the Malevolence episodes and the tie-in novel Wild Space, it's still somewhat likely that Downfall and Duel do still come before the Malevolence episodes, but when Cartoon Network insisted, apparently, on Ambush being pushed to earlier in the season for its premiere, they used the webcomic by Pablo Hidalgo to indulge this change by supporting the new placement of Ambush before the Droid and Malevolence episodes by adding references in the webcomic that leads up to Ambush entitled Prelude that would connect it to those other stories. So in the Prelude webcomic... They refer to the malevolence, though not by name, being hunted. They just call it Dooku's or Grievous's super weapon. Uh, we see Sky Top Station from Duel of the Droids coming online as a listening post to set up that duology. Thus, Ambush, if Prelude still counts, the webcomic, is very early in Season 1. In fact, at this point, it could be assumed to be the very first episode to take place after the Clone Wars film. So you jump ahead. The Ryloth trilogy, meanwhile, comes much later in the season, consisting of the three episodes leading up to Hostage Crisis, the season one finale. These episodes leave Ryloth liberated, for the most part. But after Anakin meets Cad Bane for the first time in Hostage Crisis, he and Ahsoka wind up back on Ryloth to mop up what's left of the Separatist force in the Republic Heroes video game, and they end up coming back into contact with Cad Bane, who's also coincidentally there on Ryloth. The game and its reliance on both the Ryloth trilogy and Hostage Crisis seem to help make sure that the Ryloth trilogy remains near the end of season one. Now, the Ryloth trilogy featured three tie-in webcomics. Covetous shows the initial impetus for the invasion of Ryloth on behalf of the Techno Union. Curfew shows the invasion itself, somewhat. We see how Numa, the little Twilight girl, ends up the only one free in Innocence of Ryloth. And we have the Ballad of Cham Syndulla, which shows a bit about Cham Syndulla before he teams up with Mace and the Republic in Liberty on Ryloth, which omits any reference whatsoever to any previous Republic assistance. In context... This all causes some continuity issues with supply lines, which they have confirmed is a prequel to Ambush. 
several issues present themselves. Supply Lines and Ambush would have to be probably the first episodes after the Clone Wars film due to Ambush's webcomic prelude containing those references to the Malevolence and Skytop Station and Duel of the Droids, the Skytop Station episode, being part of a duology meant to come first, and sources like Wild Space pinning it down there. That means that the events on Ryloth shown in Supply Lines are almost a full season prior to the Ryloth trilogy. So the battle there is going on for basically the entire season. This would require a revision of the explanation as to why Sham Syndulla is unwilling to work with the Republic in Liberty on Ryloth. Since he makes it sound like the Republic hasn't been helping at all, and he doesn't want them to help because they might try to control Ryloth in some big imperialist scheme. That seems to be a simple fix. You just say the Republic was helping, but when no new reinforcements arrived to replace Master Dai and his men, and only one shipment of supplies came through from Toydaria, Sean feels like they've been abandoned, so he turns against the idea of Republic help. Fine. Moreover, though, this earlier invasion of Ryloth would also require the covetous, curfew, and possibly Ballad of Sham Sindula webcomics to be moved to before supply lines, a season or so earlier than originally placed. Granted, their placement only ever said these events take place before a given episode, but usually that meant immediately before, not nearly a season before. If the webcomics do not shift, then it requires that there are two invasions of Ryloth, the one leading to the events in Supply Lines and one under the Techno Union that leads to the Ryloth trilogy. Now, of course, the Prelude webcomic, though, also claims to be showing how the Republic contacts Katunko to arrange the meeting with Yoda for ambush, which is different than the scenario shown in Supply Lines. So if Prelude just gets stricken from continuity, Ambush could be moved to later in the season as it was originally meant to be, and the changes I just mentioned would be much less pronounced. Either way, something's got to give somewhere we don't know what yet. Okay, so that's the Clone Wars television series. In terms of the impact on the films, a big deal was made about Revenge of the Sith using the Tantive IV as Bail Organa's ship. It was meant to be a connection with A New Hope, one of those little nuances to bridge the trilogies. I loved it. It's mentioned in numerous behind-the-scenes sources, guidebooks, expanded universe materials, and so forth. Lucas himself referenced it plenty. It's the Tantive IV. Isn't that cool? Well, people immediately wondered, though, why the ship looked different. It was based on a different model than it should have been, which led to a retcon, retroactive continuity, one of those behind-the-scenes decisions, that claimed that the Tantive IV underwent some form of refit during the 19-year gap between the trilogies. And that's when it changed from the form seen in Revenge of the Sith into the one we see in A New Hope. That retcon lasted about five years. Then, out of nowhere, it was changed. The ship in Revenge of the Sith was said, in Star Wars Blueprints, Rebel Edition, and later by Leland Chi himself, to not be the Tantive IV anymore, but instead to be the so-called Sundered Heart, which was a different Corellian Corvette that still doesn't look exactly like the one in Episode 3, which first appeared in the Empire at War video game in 2006, a year after the release of Revenge of the Sith. No reason was given for this change, but I would bet serious money that it was because it became known to the EU folks that the Tantive IV would be appearing in the Clone Wars in its A New Hope configuration three years prior to Revenge of the Sith which made the refit story invalid unless it somehow was refit from episode 4 form to episode 3 form and back again, which is kind of lame. So for those who have lamented, as I have, the severed tie between trilogies that's come with the retcon that the Tantive Four from Revenge of the Sith is actually the Sundered Heart, I believe we've now seen the episode, or one of the episodes, that's the reason for that change. From the moment we saw the Tantive Four here, the retcon had to be put in place. Finally, with regard to the expanded universe... This episode, when viewed on television, ended with a preview of next week's episode, Sphere of Influence. That preview states, Ahsoka and Chuchi are back together, and it's all Jabba's fault. Long story. But guess what? Greedo's involved. Yeah, we said Greedo. Thought you might like that. 
I'm sure their intention was for a reaction like this. Guess what? Greedo's involved. Whoa! No way! Yes, we said Greedo. Sweet! Thought you might like that. Boy, do I! Instead, it's more like, guess what? Greedo's involved. Oh, no, no, no. Please tell me they didn't say Greedo. Yeah, we said Greedo. Oh, son of a... <laughs> Thought you might like that. And a string of expletives follows. See, here's the thing. In the expanded universe, for years, we've had a birth date for Greedo. And next week, we appear to be getting an episode with a teen or adult Greedo that takes place three years before he's even born. Greedo had been given an origin story in Tales from the Most Icely Cantina in 1995. That story, A Hunter's Fate, was also later turned into a web strip on StarWars.com about a decade or so later, so just a few years ago. That's the background the EU is built upon, and it has Greedo being born in the same year of Revenge of the Sith. When The Phantom Menace came around in 1999, it had a scene that was cut from the film, but which appeared in some of the adaptations, which featured Anakin getting into a fight with a young Rodian named Greedo. That was meant to be the Greedo from A New Hope, but since that story was set 13 years before he was born in the expanded universe, a retcon was created. To say that the Greedo seen in Episode 1, or almost seen in Episode 1, was actually Greedo the Elder, the father of the Greedo we see in A New Hope. That's the retcon that stood for a decade. Now, though, it would appear that the Greedo we see next week is meant to be the Greedo from A New Hope, which likely also means it's the same character Lucas introduced or almost introduced in The Phantom Menace. This pretty much wipes out most of his expanded universe backstory, takes it right out of existence, particularly the A Hunter's Fate short story and webcomic. Leland Chi has already started talking about this on his Twitter, and he said that basically they tried to fix the Greedo situation when the Phantom Menace arrived, and now they don't intend on fixing it again. I have no idea what that means. It could mean that the original fix will still stand without any revisions, so the Greedo in the cartoon series will be Greedo the Elder, the dad, as was the one with the Phantom Menace. Or it could mean that the original fix has been wiped out, but they aren't going to try to fix it again. So the Episode 1, Episode 4, and cartoon series Greedo are now the same character, and the EU stories that contradict it are simply invalidated. I'm betting on the latter, but there's no way of knowing yet. So yes, continuity coroner because this episode did drop a series of mini nukes on several aspects of continuity to me honestly the thing that i am shaking my head the most about though is attentive for i loved that connection and apparently it's not anymore but the greedo thing we'll have to see what's going on next week uh, though we won't need to go into quite as much detail supposedly with it next week and uh, i guess we'll just have to wait and see about the order of the episodes and which web comics are allowed to stand or not um, but that's all. It's, it's a bit of a dissertation here, but uh, now I guess you can understand why walking into this I had so much continuity problem with it. But it wasn't continuity that caused me to not have a good feeling for the episode, but it was just kind of the distasteful icing on the cake. Now, let's talk about that trailer for next week. First of all, it said, yes, Ahsoka is back with Chuchi. Remind our listeners, who is Chuchi? Ryo Chuchi from Trespass, the one where they wind up on uh, uh, Orto Plutonia or Ordo Plutonia, uh, where they were fighting with the native uh, Tals over land. Still having trouble remembering, remembering her from that episode. It was, well, it was it was the big dude. It was it was the big, it was like there was the dude who was all snooty about you know just kill the towels and she was the one trying to convince the Jedi to find another way and everything. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I don't think Ahsoka was in that episode. So I don't think she back, was either. You know, doesn't seem she to make was, a lot of sense. I thought they were chiss. Are they not chiss? No. Uh. Uh-uh. No, they're not because their eyes aren't the aren't the, uh. aren't that. But I mean, I remember but, I remember the, the the senator or the whoever she was who was opposed to the dude who was all kill the savages, and then he. That was her. The savages. The little, right. the little female senator. That was her. As as far as as her and Ahsoka being back together. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make any. And now, if it was Ahsoka and um, 
Barris are back together that I get because I'm seeing that coming a lot. That they're gonna and have a I'm telling you they're gonna have a Thelma and Louise moment at the <laughs> series finale. <laughs> Rather than Order sixty six getting them, they're just gonna take their speeder into one of the canyons and course It's gonna be nice. When they said Greedo was back, I had to say, I'm like, yes, Greedo, I love Greedo. But I hate the fact that it seems like anytime they want to bring a character from the original trilogy into the prequels, all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, they live really long. Wookiees, they live really long. Huts, they live a long time too. And now Rodians have this huge lifespan. Eh, it's kind of, it, it, it's plausible i suppose that other species age at a different rate and have a different lifespan but i don't know this is getting kind of old for me no pun intended but do with humans too i mean there's a huge amount of time you know uh, as far as you know what we would think of as a human lifespan between the earliest stories you know the birth of luke and leia in revenge of the sith and the stuff that we're seeing now with them you know still alive and kicking as of fate of the jedi all we know is that they wind up, at least Luke, <laughs> winds up passing away sometime before the legacy comics come around. But that's another hundred or so years or you know, at least several decades. It's 107 years after A New Hope um, down the line. So, I mean, you know, they, they play with this idea that it's advanced technology. So, of course, people are going to live longer. It's not necessarily always a species thing. I think to me, it's not so much oh, let's make an excuse when we try to bring them in and just say they live longer lives. It's the fact that when they feel like they want a connection to the other films, they bring in the exact same character. I mean, bringing in someone who's maybe related to Greedo, saying it's Greedo the Elder, the Father, or something like that, that I think would be a little more realistic than just saying, oh, by the way, not only do we have all these stories about the main core characters, but all those little satellite characters, all little secondary characters, they're all being pulled into this too. It's basically just the will of the Force that all of these characters constantly bump into each other, you know? I think that's what, where, where if they do it too much, it's going to go a little bit too far. With Bosk and everything, you don't think they're already doing it a little bit too much? I don't know. I, it's not every episode. It's not even every other episode or anything like that. I think it's... When they use it so far, it's somewhat logical. I think it's probably stretching it with Greedo a little bit because it definitely has that that angst against this. But there are those who have said, and I'm hoping it's not this type of attitude being taken, where it's sort of a, a Lucas or those behind things at Lucasfilm saying, oh yeah, it was supposed to be Greedo in the first place, and now you're going to say that it's not in The Phantom Menace? Okay, we'll make sure now that it is. I, I hope it's being done in good spirit, in fun, but also with some respect for what's come before. And the Greedo thing seems to be one of those times where it doesn't really fit uh, that modus operandi, um, at least not not from what I'm telling. But of course, we haven't seen the episode yet. But just him being there three years before he was supposed to be born throws stuff off. You got to wonder: Are they going to take the previously existing story and just say that parts take place earlier, like they did with bits about IG88, as we talked about on the droids retrospective episodes, or are they just going to wipe out the story entirely? Because they try to make sure that everything fits as much as it can. It's rare to have a story totally thrown out, but not entirely sure how you make all of that happen with with Greedo, especially when they say they're not going to fix it again and we don't know what fix it in that context means jen dan what about you guys are you excited for the return of greedo or the appearance of greedo oh, that that preview really bothered me i didn't i was kind of indifferent to greedo because i don't i had no idea how old he was so the, the continuity didn't didn't really affect me my husband was really mad though but the the I felt like that preview was really pretentious. Just like, yeah, I thought you'd like that. I was just kind of like, no, no, I don't really. Not good. Greedo doesn't do it for me. But if this puts a new spin out, though, on the uh, celebration panel where Dave Filoni was agonizing over whether to say anything about 
uh, original trilogy characters being in there. So that makes sense now. now. See, that just this whole Greedo thing, I didn't even really think too hard about that. But now that I do, that really, yeah, they're just casting off EU left and right, aren't they? But it, it's another example. And with what Nathan went into earlier about uh, the web comics from their own show being shot down and how badly this series is about even thinking about being close to EU. They destroy books and, and comics for the last two seasons. Now they're even killing their own webcomic. They're just staying on that train of, of killing anything and everything for their good stories. And now with the whole Greedo thing, that that necessarily doesn't bother me as much as character we see in Revenge of the Sith for five seconds in the background is going to run into character we see die because of his horrible ineptitude within the first 30 minutes of a new hope so that this massive universe these two guys basically cross the universe and meet each other by happen chance is just crazy but once again i guess will the force so it's all okay i can add another sort of spin on top of it i guess i think this is still just an example of you know lucas is going to tell the story that lucas wants to tell we got to sort of accept that and what i'm finding is that lucas's vision of things is a very entertaining vision i mean i liked it in the films i like it in the clone wars it's just one of those where you never know where the eu effect is going to wind up being felt and i guess the same thing could be said with these web comics which is funny because the web comics in and of themselves, I mean, now it seems like they may be invalidating some of their own, and they've already done this a little bit. We had the web comic leading up to, I guess it was Dooku Captured, where there's a totally different backstory given as to how Anakin winds up captive uh, on the ship at the beginning. Well, did he do it on purpose? Was he just missing and he really was in danger? There's a contradiction between the episode and the comic. But then you also have those comics that every once in a while are necessary. If you didn't have, I believe it was called, yeah, I, yeah the one before Dooku Captured, the one I was just talking about, was called Bait. And then the one immediately afterward for the Gungan General was called Switch. And that's the one where you end an episode with Anakin and Obi-Wan having stopped themselves from getting drugged. And somehow they're drugged at the beginning of the next episode. It seems like they're willing to use the web comics to fill their own continuity mistakes when necessary or lead into an episode. But when it invalidates, eh, just another thing. But remember, these are by Pablo Hidalgo with some direction from the film crew. It's not the film team themselves necessarily writing it. Pablo Hidalgo doesn't write the episodes. Uh, as to what Jen was saying, where it felt a little bit pretentious the way they did the preview, um, I, I, w I wouldn't say I was expecting it, but I wasn't surprised by the tone taken with it because it feels to me that that's the same type of tone taken when they named characters Dow for DOA anagram and I'm a gun die. It's the same type of proud of themselves without thinking about the way the audience is going to take it kind of thing. And I'm hoping that was just a momentary lapse of sanity, not something we're going to see as the show builds, that there's going to be almost a, uh, and, and this is our way or the highway type of arrogance going to it. Hopefully that's not the case. These guys seem like they're, they're fairly fun when they're not you know, tearing through continuity. All right. Well, next, why don't we turn to our voicemails? A reminder that after every new Clone Wars episode airs, you can call our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI and let us know what your thoughts are on that. And this week, the voicemail segment is brought to you by Backstage Toys. At BackstageToys.com, you can get all of your Clone Wars figures as well as the vintage collection figures. We talk about this over on Star Wars Action News. If you're collecting the foil back cards, the chase figures, where they have Obi-Wan and Boba Fett and Grievous and many others, they have those all right now at 
Backstage Toys. And Backstage Toys is giving Republic Forces Radio Network listeners another exclusive coupon code. If you use the coupon code SV, the number five, OFF25, you'll get $5 off your next purchase of $25 or more at BackstageToys.com. And remember, all eligible orders, $25 or more, ship free. So find all your Star Wars collecting needs at BackstageToys.com. Now here's the first voicemail. Hey, this is Glenn calling in with my thoughts on uh, the third episode of uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars. Um, I really enjoyed this week's episode. And uh, I was very impressed that they had made a, uh, was well, at least a, a solid episode with uh, Jar Jar Binks. I was going to say it was a really, a rel- relatively good episode, except I'll get to the, uh, at the end. Uh, I mean, they re- really used Jar Jar very well. They sort of, you know, they took advantage of his strength, which is, you know, his his exuberance and mischievousness, mischievousness, yeah. and you know, used him as a distraction and a decoy. Which is, you know, exactly, you know, how, you know, a great way to make use of, of Jar Jar and and Bale handled him well and quieted him down, and the the episode really sort of made a lot of sense of trying to get this supplies to uh, to Ryloth, and I was a little bit confused watching this episode um, in terms of when when this was that the Separatists were, you know, invading Ryloth again, because you had uh, Champs and Dula. You know, working side by side with the Jedi, uh, you know, because in this episode, and I, I liked how they, you know, sort of made the path and made the, they cut off the pass and made a way for the, the, the uh, Twi'leks to escape. But, and I really enjoyed it and how they worked that all out. But then at the very end, it's like, oh, this is a prequel to Ambush. And then it didn't make any sense to me because what, in, in the, uh, I don't know, the last Ryloth episode that we had, it was basically, oh, Sham Sadul is this freedom fighter. He won't fight with the Jedi and everything like that. But here he was. He had already fought side by side with the Jedi. Why is this this big thing to go approach him before? And that really didn't make any sense to me at all. And if it was a prequel to that episode, I didn't understand why we even had this episode. It, 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 we didn't learn anything. It didn't really advance anything. So I'm a little bit disappointed in that. I really liked the episode up until the point that it became it was a prequel because that wasn't necessarily clear watching the episode and very disappointed in that fact. But until then, it was a good episode. I just don't really know why we had it. And that's it. And I look forward to hearing your guys' discussion of this episode and of this weird continuity mischievousness where we're going back again. It's the second time we're starting. Hey, Bale Organa was sort of involved with this, something with this episode, sort of like we had with Cat and Mouse. It's like, oh, I didn't know he was there doing anything. So... Kind of confusing, and uh, I'll look forward to hearing what you guys have said. Bye. Guys, what do you think about that? That kind of makes good sense about all of the Cham stuff and Cham not wanting to fight with the Jedi, and yet here he is fighting with the Jedi. Is that a problem? That was one of the reasons why I was so confused for so much of the episode as to when this took place, because I was under the impression that he had not encountered the Jedi until the Ryloth series in season one. So when he's just working with Master Dai, I was really lost as to when this was. Maybe he didn't know that Master Dai was actually a Jedi. He just thought it was some loon with a lightsaber. Now, I mentioned this in the continuity corner where 
you know, the Ballad of Cham Syndulla doesn't mention anything about working with the Jedi previously. The episodes don't really make it clear. It certainly would seem as though it's an easy fix, as I mentioned, where they just simply say, you know what, the reason he doesn't want to work with them, the reason he thinks the Republic is just out for their own good is because the last time around, they abandoned them. Maybe not because they tried to, maybe not because they were choosing to, but because when it came down to it, all they sent was one thing of supplies, the Master died, and nobody else was sent in. Though you've got to wonder if Ambush gets... Toydaria to work with the Republic and work with Yoda, and that's immediately after this, wouldn't the immediate reaction after that be as soon as Ambush is over, start the supply runs to Ryloth? No, it seems like maybe there's a missing step there where, for some reason, the shipments still don't go to Ryloth if they're going to try to use that particular excuse. I do kind of agree, though, with what he said about how Bail Organa keeps showing up in these prequel episodes. I find that kind of bizarre. It's like he's becoming sort of the Rosencrantz or Guildenstern, or I guess in Star Wars terms, the Tag or Bink of the Clone Wars series. Pretty soon he'll be meeting a guy named Manny Bothhands, like in Tag and Bink. <laughs> he died, right? Quite so. Poor, Quite so. Poor Manny. Hi, guys. Uh, Robert drives the car. calling in. Yeah. Wow. I never really, I think I finally figured out exactly why they're referring to this as secrets revealed for this season. Look at what we've had so far with the episodes. They sort of seem to be mostly seen around the already existing episodes, but they tell you the little bits of information that take place in between things. Like now we know why Yoda went to Ryloth, I went to, uh, Tidaria. Or you know, that there's now a connection between the ambush episode and the Innocence of Ryloth arc. It's it's kind of nice. I like the fact that now we're sort of establishing a slightly richer continuity within the show. Um, of course, now next week, Greedo and George Lucas in the same episode. That's going to be pretty wild. But... Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Love the art. The the quality of the frame rate has gone up so much. I mean, the, it's just really impressive. So, otherwise, enjoying it. Now, talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for calling in, Darth Akari. Now, that kind of goes, uh, some of Darth Akari's points go hand in hand with what I thought at the, the beginning of this episode. If what we're going to focus on in the coming season or seasons even is going back and filling out some of the stories that we just stopped in on for one episode in, in season one and season two, I'm all for it because I really like how last week rounded out rookies and how this week rounded out both or gave us a little more on both the Ryloth trilogy and ambush. So if they keep doing this and I'm all for it. And as far as next week with George Lucas and Greedo, you know, maybe this is the episode where we see, Greedo slip George Lucas at 20 and say, hey, don't you think I shot first? So, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, I think from a continuity perspective, that is probably a good idea. This idea that uh, if this secrets revealed concept is they're going back and filling in gaps or maybe filling in the connections to the original trilogy or maybe even to the other prequel type of stories, at least what it does is it keeps the time frame of the Clone Wars cartoon series somewhat confined. The biggest concern, for the most part, aside from Ahsoka when it, and Anakin's knighting, when it comes to trying to fit the Clone Wars cartoon series in with everything else EU-wise, has been 
how expansive is this going to be? How much time is it going to leave that's left to fit in the other stuff that was previously existing? The more they go back and retread old ground, the less they're expanding forward continuity-wise, at least as far as we know. I mean, who knows how far they've actually gone. Most of the stuff that we've been getting so far for Clone Wars, at least in terms of tie-in materials, are still saying 22 BBY. They're still saying it's in within that year or so after the events of Attack of the Clones, or at least, I guess, I mean, a year, maybe like 10 months out of 12 or so after Attack of the Clones, which kind of gives a little bit of hope, perhaps, that it may be easier to fit all these together than, you know, it's been made out to be before. I didn't really get that meaning, though, for Secrets Revealed, though it is a good point. I think that may be where they're going with it. For me, it was when we saw Greedo, I thought, oh, that's what they mean by Secrets Revealed, the connections between the films and that sort of thing, based on some of the stuff Filoni said. But absolutely, this could be because of the, the prequel stuff revealing their own secrets rather than revealing secrets in a grand scheme of things. I know that last season we were a little hard on Filoni and company about Rise of the Bounty Hunters, where were the Bounty Hunters? There was even the little kid who at San Diego Comic-Con asked Filoni, where were those Bounty Hunters you kept talking about? Now here they've got the theme of the season being secrets revealed. If it's just ties between the various Clone Wars episodes, are those big enough secrets to be revealed for you guys? I think we still have some big secrets coming. We have the whole uh, Force vision that ah- Ahsoka had with the sneak preview we got at the finale of Season 2. And then we have the big secret about Savage Press and everything that's going on with the Night Sisters. So I think that's coming, but since we've had nary a hint of any of that stuff in these first three episodes and preview for the fourth, I think we are seeing again the big workup, and it's going to be the last two, three episodes of the season where this finally pays off, and that's a little bit disappointing. I was going to say, I'm with Dan. I'm pretty sure that this is there's going to be some little snippets here and there throughout the season, but the big payoff for that Secrets Revealed, I think, is probably going to be at the end, kind of like last season. I think the thing is with this is I keep thinking back to that, that horrible, horrible televised... Uh, I guess it was a San Diego Comic-Con Star Wars celebration stuff with Olivia Munn and Idiot Boy with the wig. I don't even know what his name is. But I remember Dave Filoni saying that we basically have to uh, forget what we learned or unlearn what we've learned about these characters. And the more I think about this season, kind of in this concept of Secrets Revealed, we have Savage Tarjay Opress, of course, um, as I dubbed him in the previous episode. We have this, oh, all of a sudden, Darth Maul was from, uh, he was from Dathomir. He's a Zabrak, but he's from Dathomir, not Iridonia. Oh, by the way, uh, so is Asajj Ventress. It, it seems like... Hopefully the secrets revealed are give us more insight to what we've seen either in terms of connections to the other films or give us more in terms of connections between the individual episodes of the Clone Wars series. My concern is that as we get further along and they get more into the secrets side of things, the secrets we're going to start seeing are, hey, guess you didn't know this. Well, yeah, we didn't know that because we've already been told something completely different, <laughs> uh, you know. That kind of thing is what I'm a little bit concerned about. But, you know, I'd be interested. I mean, it'd be great if we got Darth Maul and somewhere in talking about Darth Maul, they threw out his real name that showed up in one of the foreign translations of The Phantom Menace and got cut from all the English stuff and has never reappeared EU-wise. Khmer Saren, I think, was how you were supposed to pronounce it. To see something like that come back would be great, something that was dropped and then picked up, as long as it's not a secret that is contradicting something else. I would love to see Ahsoka become more 
you know, wary of, of some of Anakin's teachings and that maybe the secret that gets revealed is in her visions. She starts to see the dark path he's heading down. But I can't imagine that happening, at least in this season. It's still a little bit too early and a little bit too kiddy for something I think that deep to be an overarching storyline for the season, even with all the war stuff. Nathan, you got to tell me, where does Darth Maul's name said? I don't even remember. It was one of the foreign translations of the phantom menace i think it was a phantom menace novel by terry brooks and somewhere in there if i remember correctly the name was given when it was talking about his backstory and somehow it still wound up in that print of the book it's it's been you know a decade now i'd have to actually go back into the timeline to actually look it up i'm sure there's a note in there somewhere but it was if i remember it was k-h-a-m-e-i-r or i-e-r and then sarin s-a-r-i-n i'm Almost positive that was the name that was given, and then it disappeared. Because for a while there, I had that on the timeline. Kamir Sarin, a.k.a. Darth Maul, was born or something like that. And eventually they came around and said, no, 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 no. His name actually hasn't been revealed. We just decided to leave it as Maul, and that's the name he uh, he's known by. He doesn't have an alias. But it did make it out there in some printing somewhere. It just wasn't in English, so it wound up being something very easy to dismiss. But, you know, Savage Target Opress... You know, wouldn't have known him as Maul. So if he winds up referring to his brother in any way, you would think he's got to refer to him by whatever his name was to begin with, wouldn't he? I think he'll refer to him as Maul. (laughs) He would. Hope springs eternal here, man. And now we have one last voicemail. Hey, guys. This is Rory from San Antonio. Uh, I was just hoping that maybe once you you finished up your droids um, commentary or roundtable... Uh, is there a chance that you're going to do a Faithful Wookiee, the holiday special cartoon? Um, it would seem like the appropriate in- ending for the uh, Nelvana animation, and sequentially it does come after the, all the droids episodes. And it, w- it would just be a very interesting one to do. Or perhaps you, you may want to hold off and do it in the future as a separate episode. I don't know. Uh, maybe even come November. But just a suggestion, I know you probably already have those shows wrapped up, but I've been meaning to get this in, and hopefully it gets to you. Uh, Keep up the great work, and uh, really appreciate the Droid series. Really appreciated it. And that's all. Bye-bye. Well, I'm glad to hear you enjoyed the Droid series. Thank you for those kind words. We hadn't considered doing the holiday special animation as part of the droid series but that said guys what do you think do you think we need to go back and revisit the holiday special i think we should do the holiday special for the holiday season that would be awesome i have never seen the holiday special so that would be very interesting but scary (laughs) i'd be up for it especially the cartoon part that was probably the best part of the whole thing if we do the entire thing then That's 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 gonna be it's gonna be tough. It'd be tougher than going through season two of Ewoks, but I guess I'd be game if you guys are. I have to say, I think we'd probably stick to the cartoon for Republic Forces Radio Network because I really do enjoy the discussions we have about all this and the continuity. And I just don't want to have Continuity Corner discussing the ramifications of Jefferson's starship on the Star Wars EU. I think that that goes one step further than I'm comfortable with. No, I'm more concerned about uh, Itchy's, uh, his chair, 
and his virtual woman. That <laughs> yes, I think is what we would want to keep out of here. Yeah, the Wookiee porn. We want to keep that out of the show. All right. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining me. This has been a great conversation. I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed the episode, and I enjoyed the episode quite a bit. So we will be back next week to talk about Greedo, one of my favorite Star Wars characters. And we'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening. The coroner's office is closed. See you next time. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Republic Forces Radio Network. Remember, we want your thoughts on the next episode of the Clone Wars series. You can leave us a voicemail at 415-508-JEDI every week from the time the new episode airs, and voicemails received by 1 a.m. Sunday morning may be included in our next episode. You can find our reviews of previous Clone Wars episodes, as well as our summer series reviewing the classic droid cartoon series, at our website, www.republicforces.com. And be sure to listen to our other Star Wars podcast, Star Wars Action News, covering all aspects of Star Wars collecting, from figures to high-end collectibles to Star Wars band-aids. Republic Forces Radio Network is hosted by Jerry, Arnie, Dan, Jen, Barrent, and Nathan P. Butler of StarWarsFanWorks.com. Republic Forces Radio Network, RepublicForces.com, and Star Wars Action News are not affiliated with Lucasfilm or any other official Star Wars-related company. Star Wars and all of the Star Wars universe contains are copyright and trademark, Lucasfilm Limited, and no infringement is intended. Republic Forces Radio Network is a production of Inganza Media Incorporated, copyright 2010, all rights reserved. During all of this, we witness the battle continue on Ryloth with Jedi Master D and Ryloth Resistance leader Cham Syndulla, and D falls to droid fire right as the relief supplies arrive. Quick check for you, Arnie. You might re-record that one line about Jedi Master D because I believe it is pronounced die on purpose. Is, isn't it Jedi Master die, not D in the episode? I was looking forward to seeing Master D because he was a character that looked really well designed, really kind of Wait, striking. Wait, you just told me it was Master Die. Or the D. Yeah, Master <laughs> Die, sorry. Utaguta Jabba. Not fast, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, he's a senior citizen. <laughs> how, did, how did Greedo allegedly live that long being as inept as he is? Seriously. <laughs> no, it's it was his arthritis that caused him to draw so slow. <laughs> <laughs> when it shows up on Blu-ray, it's <laughs> well, that is why Greedo had no teeth, right? There you go. Awesome. Yeah. And then they're going to CGI a couple of hearing aids in those antennae of his. And every they're going to go back for the for the Blu-ray, or they're going to go back for the uh, the the later releases of the cartoon series. Maybe that super version that Dan was expecting, and they're going to add teeth to every other Rodian. Yes. And of course, maybe they'll have a scene of when they're outside in Mos Espa, Greedo's driving really slow with somebody behind him pissed <laughs> off. And his blinkers on. <laughs> wow. Wow. Go so far on these. It's, it's not that Rodians are naturally scaly, he just has that bad old person skin. <laughs> Rodian depends. Hey. <laughs> Sorry about the mess, wasn't. Greedo's blood. It was Greedo's catheter. Yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yes, everybody walks in and smells him. All right. Ah, that is the hunter's fate. And you know, I I really think Baron Papanoida has to have a personal aid of Mick Riccullum.